This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. It's time to journey down the river Lethe with the crew of Star Trek Discovery, where you will see magic to make the sanest man go mad. But since the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry, you can choose your pain. Either turn away or join us. For into the forest I go on the journey with these kings of pop culture archaeologists. On today's episode of a podcast of rare antiquities, where indeed context is for kings. But before you get too complacent, just remember, Sebus Packum Parabellum. I am Specialist Jeff, and I will be your host this evening. I'm naked Klingon bitch, whoever she is. This is Harry. Oh, it's a spitting image. Tatashi <laughs> <laughs> look familiar. I'm Nathan, freshly back from his Domjot tournament. <laughs> And I'm shuttle pilot Till, who hopefully doesn't follow the path of all the shuttle pilots in Star Trek Discovery. First red shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I am wearing a red shirt today for some reason. Oh, God, no. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, welcome back to the show, guys. Obviously, today we are tackling the first half of the inaugural season of Star Trek Discovery. We already did the pilot episode in a previous episode, so we're going to be covering episodes two through nine, I believe, is what we've got here. We're not going to do our typical trivia section or obviously we don't have enough time to get into the synopsis for it so what i want to open up with here is we're just going to do a little bit of a round table and just kind of want to get everybody's opinion on what the heck is star trek discovery about and somebody's torturing somebody's torturing lieutenant Tyson. was that chloe like <laughs> yeah that was our little vok in the corner <laughs> sorry guys no, that's okay right. <laughs> no it's good it adds a little flavor to the proceedings here so i just want to ask everybody you know what just in your own words what star trek discovery about and we'll do a little round table there you cannot say that you agree with the person who went before you gotta come up with something new so harry i'll let you start what is this show all about yet i don't know <laughs> Really? I just don't think that it's found its footing, at least from my perspective. That's a really hard one to nail down at this point. You know, you would think that just from the title perspective, it would have been more on exploration. There is an exploration on certain characters that are happening here, which is par for the course for Star Trek and necessary. But other themes, I'm not sure as of yet. So, you know, it's just still early days. I'm not sure I can give an honest answer right now. Nathan, how about you? What's it about? What it's about is we are witnessing a huge battle in the writer's room for Star Trek Discovery of writers who want to create this mystery and then other writers that want to do traditional Star Trek and other writers who have a weird alien fetish. <laughs> that's that's what I think. I cannot actually pin down what this show is about because there's some aspects about it that are very Star Trek and then other aspects it's like I'm watching not Lost Space but the show Lost, Lost but it's in space. In space, yeah. Andrew. So far it's following a traditional like redemption character arc while trying to be like it's trying to be like modern TV while juggling the lore of Star Trek but it really has been like the tale of like two Star Treks if you compare the first two episodes versus the remaining 
Inning 7. So I think it's finally found its footing, but we still don't fully know what it's about yet. I think we'll find out after the mid-season finale, but yeah, still not entirely sure. Hold hmm. on. Did you watch the mid-season finale, or did I understand that correctly? I, I mean, like, we'll find out more the next episode following oh, yes. the mid-season finale. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, we're fully caught up. Okay. Yeah, I thought that this show is definitely a battle, and it feels to me like it's about trying to do what you think is right, but battling against what you feel in the moment is how to react versus how you think you should be performing or doing what you think you should. I think that kind of cuts to the heart of Star Trek a little bit, which is striving for the better humanity. But I see that kind of coming out in a lot of aspects of the show here. But I just kind of wanted to get an idea of what everybody's sort of impressions were on a different level as opposed to just a plot I just level wanna, there. So. I just want to add one thing. I think I agree with something that Andrew just said is I felt, and maybe you guys can touch on this too, Jeff and Nathan, I feel that there was definitely a shift in focus, quality, not, I wouldn't say quality, but tonality and just writing after the first two episodes, which that's what we talked about previously. I felt that the show has been radically different. I mean, it, it would have to be, like, we're not saying it should be something as similar as what we saw in the first two episodes, but I just felt that there's just, the show feels like it's a different personality completely. I don't know about you guys. Absolutely. I even feel like Burnham is almost like a different character now. Almost. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, not completely, but I haven't had a chance to actually rewatch everything, but I feel that her character has gone through kind of a weird shift, and I don't know if that was intentional because of the, the death of Georgiou, but there's kind of like a, a clear demarcation line between the end of the pilot versus the rest of the series. That was on purpose, though, was it not? I mean, the, the opening, just even how the season is structured, we basically have a show that has a two-hour movie intro, and then the series kind of starts. But you don't think it was that. more of a fuller thing? Because that fuller no, I, hands all over the first two episodes in terms of writing. And then No, I don't think so, because the show now... Those first two episodes, how cinematic it is, that's not Brian Fuller at all. He's much more contemplative and slow moving. So, in fact, so three contexts is for Kings, which I just rewatched tonight. That felt more like Brian Fuller to me with some of the introductions, like throwing a lot of mysteries at you right away. That was more mm -hmm. I understand. Uh, his style, right? Yeah. And I think, so I don't know what happened there or, or as far as production order, what the network wanted to do. But at any rate, it seemed pretty clear to me that they wanted to open the series with a bang, sort of a 90 minute movie, if you will. And then the series proper would start. So I thought it was on purpose. That was the impression I was under. I just had a curiosity, Andrew, because you weren't here with us first two episodes Maybe just within like a, a minute or two, what did you think yeah. of those two before we get into the rest of the episodes? After watching the first nine, like the first two caught my interest, but I was definitely nervous after the first half of the pilot. Just like some of the hokey scenes that we saw and just the interactions weren't as great as we've seen in the past. And it felt more like JJ Star Trek than the Star Trek that we, we all fell in love with on the TV shows. But then as the regular episodes started coming out every week, and I did feel as if there was a massive tone shift and it caught our interest so much more every single week. Like wrestling's hooked on it. And it just seems like each episode so it keeps getting better and better. But the first two just seem a little out of place. And it's just to set up this mutiny that occurs and the Klingon war. And it's fun from like a popcorn perspective, but it's very different than the other two. So. Yeah, but that's on purpose, though, don't you think? Like, they didn't, that's no accident. No, and I think it's to try and get audiences to watch the show. And I think for those mm. who like follow Star Trek, like we're going to watch it regardless. But for people who want to grab onto something, especially in like today's age, getting something with action is something that's important. But it certainly, it feels like 
two separate seasons. Not to say that I didn't like it, but it's just it's definitely started to find its feet a lot quicker than other Star Treks in the first season, which I'm very happy about. I think you raise a good point there, Andrew. It certainly does seem to hit the ground running a, a bit more competently than other Trek shows in the first season, for sure. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> Code of Honor, anybody? Oh, yeah. We've talked about that a couple of times. We don't need to go down. No, that, yeah, that we don't need down. to go down there. Since Andrew kind of brought it up, I know we probably touched on it a little bit, but I think it is important to revisit because as we see the discovery proper and the sets and how the regular course of the show is being filmed, the uh, design similarities or the perhaps cinematography similarities to JJ's Star Trek. Why don't we revisit that question a little bit? So Nathan, maybe I'll start with you. We know that the pilot definitely contained the DNA of JJ's Star Trek in there. So how do you feel about that now in the context of the regular episodes now? I felt it was a little less on the nose. Maybe part of it is, I think, if you're looking for it, you see some of those elements there. But at the same time, because they have to modernize the show, they kind of maybe did it and like, well, okay, JJ did it and this thing seemed to work and whatnot. I think the production value is still very good and we're not getting a ton of lens flares all over the place. They've toned it down a little bit. Well, the other thing that's actually not very JJ is that things do seem much darker, whereas everything in JJ verse is like, I think a little more brilliantly lit. And I think they make better use of some of the classic sounds from mm-hmm. track in a much more natural way. And so it's recognizable, but there's something that a little more that fits a little bit better. Whereas with say with JJ verse, they'll use the sound and it, it's so obvious that like, Oh, this is a callback to the original series. The cinematography, I felt like I was watching like almost like a better version of not better, but a better production of deep space nine. have had, they had more money, a lot of the neat dark lighting and, and sort of the maybe better camera angles and such. Yeah. So Harry, where do you kind of land on that? I know you're not a huge fan of lens flare. Lens flare, I mean, that's JJ, but it's not just JJ. I mean, I really don't care about lens that much. It's more just of a running gag that we talk about or that geeks talk about. In terms of his influence, I don't think there's been much influence of JJ Trek since the original two episodes. So for me, that's been a very welcome change. I felt there was a bit more of a, even though some of the action set pieces and some of the way the kinetic camera angles were used in the pilot, that was more JJ and then the final fight. But since then, it's become its own thing. To me, there's still some hints of a Battlestar Galactica, like the new one, more of a influence there with respect to JJ Trek and maybe hints of DS9. But I'm not sure if it's going to... We could talk about it, where we think the story is going to go and what we think of the story so far. Because for me, I'm not sure if they're, as you mentioned, we whether we were shown some hints of things and I'm not sure if it's going to follow through on certain thread points or not. It's just right now I feel maybe this is just world building and that's what they're doing. And if that's the case, a good thing. I'm, I have a million thoughts, but with respect to JJ, I don't think there's been much influence of him beyond the first two episodes. Right, I agree. I got a couple points to make. So Andrew, why don't you weigh in on that as well, since you are the one who brought it up. <laughs> Well, I think Nathan and Harry kind of summed it up perfectly in that, like the first two episodes, I think it also tying to what you mentioned earlier, it's, it was intentional, like have a JJ themed direction and have a look at the, the bridge such that people who are new to Star Trek over the last, it's been 10 years, to, uh, crazy to think about nearly, have those people warm up to Star Trek while people who are familiar with the series tune into to it just because, you know, we're all going to. But after that, like besides the aesthetic look of it and just like the modern aspect of Star Trek, I haven't seen any J influence since episode two, which is nice i like that i like old star trek yes uh, yeah i like how they they found their own style 
I don't know if you guys noticed this, and there's a couple pieces there, but I actually find it very reminiscent of the motion picture series. Does anybody else have that feeling? Like You're talking about the original you, series movies or the motion picture yeah, itself? Yeah, the ori- the, like the whole, all of them, like this, the original series movies. Like, we'll say like two to six, because the first one obviously is very different from a design standpoint. I can see hints of what you're saying. The way it's structured, I would say. Yeah, I just mean, there's hints here and there. I don't know if you guys noticed, but when they go to, like, Red Alert, it's the same alert sign from the films, from those films. Oh, you're talking about, like, the production? Yeah, some of the production details. That's right. Yeah, just the lighting, the sets. I mean, obviously, the uniforms are, are different, but it just, it feels that way to me. And once I saw that, I couldn't stop seeing it kind of everywhere on the show. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think Nathan touched on it. It was more... I find that more with the sound effects more than mm-hmm. anything else, yeah. like with the transporter beams or the, the clangs of the alerts. And, and yeah, and the, the guns, the phasers, I guess. Yeah. That's communicators, the doors. The doors, doors yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit. Why don't we talk about our, the, our new crew since we've met everybody now? And obviously, I think the characters are going to factor into a lot of conversation. So why don't we jump into those guys first? So, Andrew, why don't you start us off here? Do you have a favorite so far? How did you enjoy some of the characters' introductions and, you know, any other sort of general thoughts on this new Star Trek crew? I should probably, like, by obligation, say that I like Tilly the best. Uh, I've really enjoyed her character. <laughs> I was going to ask that question. Uh, Is Tilly uh, your was... favorite Tilly? Uh... Tilly's my favorite. <laughs> I love Tilly. She's fucking dope. She's awesome. I have a hunch of, like, where we're going to go with the next few episodes, which is going to make, I think, her character even better. But for me, my favorite, Lorca. Just the portrayal by Jason Isaacs has been awesome. And it's just this, you're always questioning his intentions. And so every week we're having conversations. I'm like, oh, I would just want him to be so good. But I know he's bad, but I know he's good at the same time. But I think his portrayal of a captain who's very unlike any of the captains that we've had in the the series on a regular basis, just the acting from him has been fantastic. Like even just like the little little bits that they throw in, like on the last episode where he has to just pause and put his little eye device in his eye so he can see the explosion just because like he's so much of a badass. Like I love how Lork has been, but the cast overall, I, I think has been a great cast. And I could talk for tons of time about people like Saru. But I've really enjoyed the development of the cast so far. Yeah. Nathan, what about you? Well, my favorite is also Tilly, actually. I like this weird, almost autistic type of character that's been introduced and kind of like, everyone tends to be like a little bit serious on the show with maybe the exception of oh, Tyler. So I don't know. I think she brings like this neat energy to the show. I also like the way that the characters have been introduced because in every other Star Trek series, like, you know, your main seven characters, boom, here they are. They say, each, you know, it, they say each other's name, like at least once a scene uh, yeah. so that, you know, you get that, you memorize that name. And so this is kind of, I felt like this was a more, more modern approach to introducing the main cast because like the way that the other Star Trek series, like, cause they even did it in Enterprise, which isn't even really that old. And it felt like a very strong like well this is the way star trek does it so far i like everyone and uh, Lorca is definitely like this weird oddball where you kind of you like him he's cool but he also has this weird vibe like he's actually the secret villain of the show in a way 
I do also want to say that like the characters I don't like are all the Klingons. I, we'll get to that, I'm sure. But I just I got to throw that out there that there's nothing for me to hang on to there. Yeah, we'll circle back to the Klingons for sure. Harry, what, what who are you digging so far and or not? Well, I mean, I you know from a perspective just from following the protagonist. I mean, I like Burnham, but she's not right now my favorite character. I'm more interested in Saru and Lorca, as you guys have kind of hinted at and talked about. Lorca's definitely, as you said, the oddball. He's an enigma. We're still trying to figure him out. Is he going to secret become the villain or just some kind of anti-hero? Or, you know, you say, is this a lead up to Section 31? Or is he just kind of some rogue guy who just has ESD? I don't know how he can captain's chair if he's kind of like that. But that's a separate issue. Saru I also find interesting. I enjoy most of the cast, too. Even Tyler coming. I think all is kind now, the last episode. But I've enjoyed Tyler's scenes. I think just, like, that's from the main characters. Tilly's okay. I mean, I'm glad we're seeing a kind officer. I think the least compelling people that have been there, and it's not because they're gay. It's because Stamets is just kind of off-putting for me a little bit. But that's okay, because you have you need some kind of diverse emotional performances from your cast, so I enjoy that. They're all not nice guys, and they all have their quirks, and also the doc was also his part. I just don't think they generated a lot of time for him. He's been okay in terms of acting. They're okay, but I'm just not attached or as interested those characters, but I'd say Lorca and Saru are my favorites so far. That's a good answer. I like everybody a lot. They haven't given Dr. Culber a lot to do. I don't think Sorry, he's what's the name? I, I didn't even... Dr. Culber. Hugh Dr. Culber. Pugh or Hugh? Hugh. Hugh. No, you, it's you. It's you. That's you. it. You. Other than Lorca, I couldn't even tell you the first name of any of these characters. Well, I can tell you everybody. We got Ash Tyler. We got Sylvia Tilly. We got Paul Stamets. We got, I don't remember Burnham's first name. How can you not know <laughs> the one that, one that stands <laughs> out the most? Yo, Kangos. Oh, <laughs> Oh, uh, Saru doesn't have a first name. It's actually Harry Saru. <laughs> Harry Saru. <laughs> I actually like the death is coming. A, I like Stamets quite a bit because he's such an asshole, especially at the start. And why that's why not... is it that you tend to gravitate towards the assholes? I'm wondering, is that... <laughs> well, you're lucky I do, otherwise we wouldn't have been friends for the last 20 years. <laughs> okay, shade. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. Yeah, that's okay. So, I could be an asshole. <laughs> no, I'm your kind of asshole. Uh, the reason why I do is because it's hard to pull off that character being an asshole and still making that character somebody you want to watch. And especially when you have them as part of your Star Trek crew. Uh, we've seen assholes on Star Trek before, but it's usually like an admiral or a commodore if we're talking about the original series. And he softens up a little bit, so he has a bit of an arc there. It's neat to see that they, you know, he's kind of a dick, but you see the situation that he's been put in, you know, and they layer a few things on him there to to humanize him, soften him up a little bit. So I thought that's that's great. I don't really expect it to go anywhere, but I enjoyed his performance. I thought he was pretty good. I liked Ash Tyler quite a bit as well. Obviously, we've got a bit of a journey to go with him. But I think overall, they've definitely done a really good job. I'm not a big fan. I know he's not a series regular. I'm not a big fan of James Frain as Sarek. Oh, he's, yeah. He's, he's a- the worst of the bunch. That Sarek oh. episode, who uh, I guess we can get into it later. I think that was the worst one we've seen yet. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I agree with that assessment as well. Actually, um, a quick question before you move on, Jeff. What about your favorite bridge no-name guy or gal? I like the chick with the messed up face and like the fucking cyborg implants. Like she was in the pilot, but I don't yeah. remember her name. No, yeah. Oh, and she's like Lobot now? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. I love that. I like Ooh. black and white Nebula. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who is that? I don't know. No, but Lobot she does is... have a name. 
Lorca called her by name in one episode. Uh, I forgot I didn't catch it because he uh, told her to, to take the bridge or something like that. And then she, it was like, I think the only time she ever even spoke in the whole series so far. And it was Arium or Arium or something like that. So we're just doing androids now? Yeah. Lieutenant Commander Orion. Yeah. <laughs> what about random bridge officer dude is called out by like Harry Mudd? That was pretty. I like oh, that. Oh, I love that. <laughs> What'd you think of Harry Mudd so far? Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about Harry Mudd. Yeah. Ooh. Better than I thought he would be. When he was announced, I wasn't quite sure about it. And it's still, I'm not sure if it's Rain Wilson. I like the character of Harry Mudd, but better. So you like the character, but you don't like Rain Wilson? It's more just the difference between it's struggling between the original series portrayal versus Rain. Well, I like Rain Wilson. It just. There's no continuity there like, whatsoever. Yeah. And I think no, taking that out and enjoying it for the performance that it is. And I think that's just a struggle that people who are way too passionate about Star Trek have is like letting go of the past. But then um, why would you? name him harry mudd like why if he's so ra- such such a radical departure from what we've seen just for that transporter scene just for that one yeah i don't know well i mean i guess i could weigh in on harry mudd i was very surprised that they were going to use him and i was worried when they did but i did like him i mean i like rain wilson quite a bit and i thought to his harry mudd was good i mean i mean hey harry you have a point like what's you know there's not a lot of continuity there so what's the point but i mean i guess you could say that about the whole show nothing really looks like star trek so i call it that i mean i guess it's more of just a nod to let us know what time period we're in it's not super relevant but i don't know i mean there's a point where like i want to try to let go of that kind of stuff anyway they want to put harry mudd in there fine make the episode good put the guy in it give him a good performance give him a good part to play fine call him harry mudd call him whatever you want it's not like they made an englishman a Sikh or something like that not that they'd ever do that of course but you know i mean that would just be silly a Sikh who's a mexican now all of a sudden exactly yeah <laughs> Come on. <laughs> what kind of world are we living in here? That, that would just be silly. I feel the same way where I need to, you know, let go of certain continuity issues. So I liked this weird, murderous, hairy mud. And, you know, he's kind of the, I think I said it before, like he's kind of like the Heath Ledger to Cesar Romero in terms of like Joker portrayals. Because Harry Mudd is kind of this buffoonish character in the yeah. original series. And so I like this. And he's still, you know, a bit of a clown. But, you know, he has this real, you know, evil streak to him, which I like. So, I mean, if I can, I think if you can accept the continuity error, if you will, in what, how the ships look, what the ships look like and the technology levels. And it's like, well, okay, I can kind of buy into this different interpretation of the character. But it also, I mean, Harry brought up a good point. Like, why even have the character? And I think that goes to the at least one of my problems with the show is like, why do we even have a prequel? Like just make it a continuation after Voyager or something like that. Like have it much further in the future or something. So the, the prequel idea, I'm, I'm sure we'll kind of get to it is I think problematic in a few areas. Harry Mudd being one. Yeah. I mean, I'll weigh in on Harry Mudd. I mean, I'm in, I like Rain Wilson as well, mainly because of the office. It'd be nice if well, Steve Carell pops in. That'd be a little <laughs> duo there. I think that'd that's cool. Commodore Decker. Yeah. Commodore oh, Decker. That'd be amazing. <laughs> but that aside i didn't like his first appearance when he was in the jail cell with two tyler and Morka. i said if this is what we're getting from him oh boy not a fan but i enjoyed the second appearance he had i was surprised it was that quick of a turnaround he came back that quickly i thought that was a fun episode he was pretty good in that one but i still had issues with how much control he had over that whole situation that's a separate issue yeah that was kind of a you know a convenient tech issue in order to you know just drive that the plot along so that had some problems with it i agree with you on that one there for sure maybe talk about a couple of the episodes here 
here. I mean, you know, we have an overall arc of the Klingon War, the start of the Klingon War, and we also have the more traditional episodic nature of, of Star Trek, where we have contained episodes and sort of combinations of the two. So, you know, one thing I wanted to ask is... Maybe not what was your favorite episode necessarily, but what do you think was the episode where it felt the most like a Star Trek series to you? Nathan, why don't you lead us off on that one? Well, I think my favorite episode is probably the uh, repeat the magic to make the sanest man go mad. Even though, I mean, this is a rehash. Which and, one's and that? Re- you guys fucking know the episode. Oh, that's the one we were just talking about, the Harry Potter. <laughs> that, that's that's oh, okay. the, uh, the, the time repeat. What was the original TNG episode? Just fucking say cause and effect yeah. that I'll know. Cause and effect. Thank you. I couldn't remember. And it's been done to death in like a hundred series after that. I mean, it drives me mad. But I kind of like that they just sort of got right, right to it. It's like, yeah, I'm repeating, you know, this timeline, stuff like that. And I just kind of liked Harry Mudd, like the way he would kill Lorca over and over again. Oh, that was great. Um, that was the best part. I mean, I, yeah. And it, it was a fun episode, but it was weirdly dark. And I thought, okay, we're getting some, you know, I thought we got some nice character development with uh, Burnham, like a little bit wasn't a ton i felt like one of the better star trek-esque episodes was what was the episode where they go to the planet that's the one in latin right isn't that the in the forest one or whatever no that's the last last one yes why the fuck do they say forest yeah episodes are kind of driving me nuts okay i looked it up i'm even reading i can't even see this peckham paraboloom is how thank you. you all right Sounds like a Harry Potter spell. It does. So, but I kind of like this. It was sort of a neat callback to an original series episode. And I thought, I wish we actually had more of Saru in this and his breakdown of like him being so scared all the time and the way he was willing to betray his crewmates like that. It's unfortunate it came at the end of the episode, but I thought that was like a really interesting aspect of of that character. It's an odd character to have on a show that your main cast, they're in the midst of a war, trying to win a war and he's so afraid of everything. I thought that was, I wanted more of that and I hope they explore that more. That definitely felt like a more Star Trek episode. I'll weigh in here next. I really thought that was an important episode from a Star Trek perspective as well. It did feel very Star Trek, very convenient plot devices, unfortunately, which hurt it for me. But that exploration of Saru's fear and what he was willing to do in order to not, you know, be afraid for the first time in his entire existence. Because first you kind of think like the, it's like the mind, they got like a mind control thing going on. And that wasn't the case. That was him the whole time. So that, that was a neat little twist. So that was great. When I first saw just like reference another episode that I, when I really watched, I thought, okay, now we've got some Star Trek going on here was, you know, another Harry just to bother you with another episode titled The Butcher's Knife Cares Not For The Lamb's Cry. And that felt great because we saw, that's where we saw Burnham really start to feel some empathy for the um, the tardigrade. Yeah. And that's that's my when Yeah. So why don't you go into that a little bit for us then, Harry? This is the same episode because that kind of happened over a course of a couple episodes. So I just want to nail down the episode right. Right. Is this the same one where she releases the tardigrade? At the end of that episode, yes. That's that's my favorite episode. Even though Harry Mudd appears in that episode, and I think that's the prison Lorca and Tyler, I think that's the weakest part of the episode. But I appreciate appreciated analytical approach they were taking to the network that Miss and Burnham were discovering. Even her approach and her little 
bit of a conflict with Saru. And I think that's been, that relationship has been my favorite so far in the series is her relationship with Saru that we've seen. And I like their battling and how he's a little still scared. He trusts her and now he's in charge. She has to convince him that we can't use the tardigrade. And he says something very logical and sound that, hey, I've got to save the captain plus so many other souls in this vessel versus one creature. I got to make this choice. And mm. if I'm in that in those shoes, I feel for the creature. And I think he did too. And I love the line he says, you know, oh, well, I'll accept the, not the judgment of history, like that's a Picard line, but I'll accept, you know, whatever consequences that happen, but I have to do what I have to do. I just enjoyed that episode and I felt that was the most Star Trek out of bunch. Mm. And it was yep. a feel good moment when the Tardigrade was released and, you know, came back to life and then just ventured off his own Star Trek his own. <laughs> <laughs> Off to the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah. Off to the Mushroom Kingdom, yeah. yeah. Tardigrade on some kind of Star Trek. Like... I think you actually made a really good point there, that relationship between Burnham and, and Saru, that is a really interesting relationship that they have there, and we've never really explored that type of relationship on Star Trek before. So that's neat, because they're sort of in conflict, but they also understand each other to a certain extent. It's playing out really well. Andrew, what about you? What's been a good Star Trek moment for you so far? It's tough to add beyond what you guys have already talked about. Like, I think there's a little flavor of Star Trek, like different types of Star Trek throughout the, the first season, which I really enjoyed. Like the quote unquote, the, not the time travel one, but the one where they keep going back with Harry Mudd. Like that was fun as a one-off episode that brought back a lot of memories from, from the next gen. But for me, it was the release of the Tardigrade. And I remember like, it's, I don't normally get all sappy during TV shows, but that was a moment when I looked at wrestling and like, this just, it feels like Star Trek. Like I haven't had that feeling since I, I liked Enterprise, but it just, it hasn't felt like Star Trek since that time. And like, just to see an episode and just the way that they pulled it off. And yeah, I, I just love how you can find different elements of Star Trek within each of the different episodes. But I, when you guys talk about the, the relationship between Saru and Burnham, I like that as well. Like there's good character development, but there's different character development from what we used to in the past. I know I'm bouncing all over the place because I've just, I've enjoyed every single episode. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's a matter of what you're looking for, but there's elements of Star Trek in everything which is which is why the series has been great so far so why don't we talk about that a little bit since we're or maybe that'll make a nice segue here so andrew what feels to you like the most and maybe least star trek like about this series so far it's interesting because you could probably answer that in the same question because in the same response because it's kind of michael burnham's struggle right now and I, you see it with some of the other characters in regards to like what the federation should be doing versus what they're doing now it's a very militaristic organization and which is not something that has been portrayed in the past unless you go to the mary universe which could be a spoiler and it's the struggle between like doing what's right versus what is necessary and that mm -hmm. to me is, is very star trek it's that quest to do what is right for humanity and it's not necessarily the, the decision that people will understand but it's the one that is the right thing to do and you're seeing an evolution of the, the characters burnham especially just because she's the the main actor but that's what i've really enjoyed like getting to see the development of the federation and the ideals that we're used to in each of the the series since but seeing the struggle that characters have with how it is in this current setting and how the klingons are so opposed like the Federation's expansion, that to me, like it's both the best and worst because it's something that we're not used to. And so I've enjoyed it, but at the mm -hmm. same time, it's just different. And that's where it, it's just getting used to it. Yeah. Nathan, what about you? Yeah, I think the thing that's very, I guess, Star Trek about it is 
how these different characters are trying to find their place in this. They're in this weird situation where they're now at war, right? I mean, it, I think especially with Burnham, who is still trying to kind of navigate how to live in a human world, having not really grown up that way. I mean, that really echoes, you know, sort of the development of Spock throughout original series and the movies to a certain extent. I like with Stamets, like he's a scientist and he's, but now he has to sort of develop this weapon of war, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes. You know, he's like, well, I'm out here to explore, but Lorca's pushing him to, you know, be like, well, yeah, but this is a struggle for survival. Even Lorca in his own way is like, you know, I'm trying to do, you know, the right thing under extreme circumstances. Tilly has, again, like the most optimistic view of the world. And I kind of think that those are some of the elements they've just sort of changed for the nature of the show being a little bit darker. It's wartime, but people are, are trying to figure out the right thing to do. It becomes a little and it gets a little bit of a little gray and we don't kind of get those happy endings that you would say in at the end of TOS where it's like, here's the lesson of the week and this is how you perform. I mean, no one's really truly rising above the occasion necessarily. The thing that doesn't feel about track is, yeah, sort of the same thing where we're still left with these morally ambiguous answers at the end of the day. We're usually track has always been like, this may be the hard road, but this is the correct road to take. And you can almost sort of agree with it. And if you buy into their, you know, utopian existence, but in this, it's like, uh, I guess you could sort of go either way with some of these characters You can kind of understand where they're coming from, but you may not always agree, which is the thing that's not very Star Trek, which I think is very fresh mm. for Star Trek. DS9 probably did it best before this. And other, I know Voyager tried to play with that a few times and just it didn't work at all. And but this, I think it's a much more mature way to do it. And I can only imagine some purists are, you know, lighting themselves on fire, running into buildings full of explosives just over the idea that we have this ambiguous answer at the end of episodes. Yeah. Harry, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the thing that's most untrek like is the insistent morally gray area that a lot of people probably accept Tilly, who's your optimist anchor so far in the show you know because even burnham at the start you know she you know technically started war and capped so i mean there's these gray areas that it's just constant there and that's just the full point to have for the show because that's the tone they want and that's fine because that's different i really don't think that you're balancing the vision that gene roddenberry had that sense of gray area or darkness or war i, I still think i'm not sure if this was your point but i ds9 mastered that the best in terms of tonality but again, this is early days for Discovery, so you can't really judge too much on this show yet. What's best about Star Trek, we talked about, it's still, you know, they've dropped, you know, ideas, story points about exploration, even coming from Lorca in the last episode. Whether he's using that to convince Stannis to jump, he was just meant Stannis to jump, but he seemed partially interested in that exploration multiple networks of discovering. So there still seems to be an exploratory great character in the show, and the others seem to have that aspect, Stannis or Stannis and Burnham. So, I mean, you have that there, and you talked tardigrade episode that was a great episode of star trek and so it's doing a good job balancing it for me the most star trek is or what's most trek about this for me is i don't know about you guys but i find it comforting to know that no matter which century ever since the creation of starfleet all men have pointed sideburns so i'm just glad to see that still <laughs> does, uh, Lor does Lorca and stamets and the doctor they all have pointed sideburns yeah well stamets and Lorca do 
the doctor has uh, kind of a beard. Oh, right. So, so he, he doesn't count. But yeah, from Captain Kirk to all the way to Lorca and Chakotay and beyond, every everybody's got pointed sideburns. Look it up. <laughs> Is it just Starfleet regulation? I think it's Starfleet regulation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even Captain Picard's bald has fucking pointed sideburns. So Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and even Riker before the beard. So there you go. Anyway, what I found very Trek about it, and this kind of goes back to the pilot, which I know we've already covered, but that's well, it plays through with some of the with the cling on the other side of this. We've never really seen the other side of the conflict outside of Star Trek VI. It's, it's never really been explored all that much, but it's great to see that other side in there. You know, even though the Klingons are a little bloodthirsty, it's good to see that they don't have just a warmongering philosophy here. They just didn't want, they just wanted to be fucking left alone. And the Federation kept expanding and expanding and nobody asked if anybody wanted that. So I thought that was pretty cool. It's an um, interesting question, but then I don't know if they're going to go anywhere. Yeah, I don't know that they're going to go anywhere with it either. It's hard to say because I think there's probably some twists and turns from the Klingon end of things to come. We'll see what actually becomes of that. Hopefully it's not a disappointment, but yeah, who knows, maybe that those threads will be dropped. And it's hard because the Klingons, I mean, Nathan brought it up before, so maybe we can segue into that now. The Klingons are highly annoying, at least to me. I don't know how you guys feel. I appreciate that they're all speaking Klingon the whole time. I kind of wish they had done a, they had read October this and just, you know, give us some Klingon at the start. And then you can whip up the universal translator through the television. I think that technology should exist there. I think that would have been you might get that just now. a little easier. You might get that now. Yeah, I, I don't know, man, because I think now when Whenever the, maybe we will because we had that scene in the last, in the last episode, episode there where she had the communicator. So maybe you're right. Maybe we'll do that. But if we're just in a scene where it's just Klingons, I don't know that we're going to see that. I mean, whatever. We'll see. But so far, that's been troublesome for me. And part of the reason why is... I don't want to be one of those people that go, oh, I don't want to read subtitles. Like, I, I, okay, I don't want to read, I'll read subtitles from watching a movie from like Korea or something like that. But it's also hard, like it's really difficult for actors to do a good job emoting under all that makeup. So now it, you're making it worse. Yeah, you're making it worse. Exactly. Yeah, you're kind of throwing two things on top. Like if you look at Doug Jones, I mean, I don't know how he emotes under all that junk on his face, but fuck does he could do a good job. But I can actually look at his face so I can see some of the nuances he's doing there with the Klingons. You know, you just can't really do it. So they're very homogenous because, you know, they're... they're... I, I disagree. I think they've done a good job. I'm not saying there's not a Klingon problem, but if you're talking about performance, I think on a good job emoting. I just think... Yeah. Tone, I just think to tonally, I'm not 100% sure they've... Maybe not tonally is not the right word. Just execution-wise, I don't think that nailed the Klingon down right. Yeah, they yeah, seem more primitive than anything. Like, primitive Klingon mm -hmm. versus more of, like, the... Like, I'm trying to explain it to someone who's never watched Star Trek before, and I'm like, well, they're supposed to be honorable, but these Klingons are just backstabbing bastards. Like, it's, well, see, no, go ahead, Andrew. Sorry. I think the actors are doing a, a good job or the best job that they can with the prosthetics, but I just have this feeling that they spoke in Klingon for the eight prior episodes. So they could just have that one scene where you put down the universal translator, which was pretty cool. But, like, I'd rather see them talking in a language that I think they can easily 
act and we can better understand but they just they don't I can't put my finger on it but they just don't seem Klingon-y enough yeah I agree there's something about it it's off yeah the Nathan we haven't forgotten about you but I just wanted to make a point there because Andrew you, you brought it up is talking about honor and you know Klingons having that code but if you watch the original series they actually were kind of backstabbing sinister douchebags yeah like but the whole I, honor thing but we gotta let some of that slide there. though Jeff I mean it's just like with the fucking makeup and the ridges and stuff so we're letting that go because that's the first track you know no, we I'm know who Klingons it, are supposed to be they've entered houses talked about honor they've dropped name on early words several times on scene so think yeah but I'm just wondering if they're maybe made a little bit more treacherous on purpose not from a con- necessarily a continuity standpoint but because like we've seen how fractured the empire is nobody's getting along so maybe that becomes part of this story is the unification of the klingon empire under a more honorable type of code and this what we're seeing now these klingons who are not very honorable like that way kind of dies off or maybe they've lost their way or something like that so i wonder if that's purposeful at this point but i think that's where the show could benefit just like what they did on tng or ds9 is you're seeing you know political strife or council meetings i'm not saying we want to talk about taxation and trade routes a la <laughs> phantom menace but, bring me a blockade any day baby <laughs> but i mean like you know they did it well on tng ds9 all the scenes on the klingon world establishing where the klingons are who are the power players who's the houses you know they did a little bit of that in pilot you mm-hmm. saw those holograms yep. or houses there but I think their show would benefit from Klingon-centric episodes where you don't even see any of Discovery crew and can see what's I, going on with Klingons. I think it's the yeah. show desperately needs to do that. Okay, yeah. Nathan, what are your thoughts on the on the Klingon problem here? The Klingon problem, I find... The Kronos Conundrum, we'll say. Yeah, because... That'll be okay. the episode title. Oh, that'd be a great episode title. Yeah, I think DS9 did do it best. I think probably the best one was when Quark had to go to Kronos and he's like spouting off a bunch of business <laughs> rhetoric to the High Council. That was a great episode. But there is, I find nothing about the Klingons compelling. I mean, I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't care. I'm not. And yeah, I, Jeff, I'm like you, like where I don't want to be one of those types where like, oh, subtitles. I mean, I don't mind subtitles most of the time, but there's something I don't know. There's something so irksome about the way these Klingons, like just the production of them talking. There's something also so unnatural about these actors talking in Klingon. Whereas, you know, TNG and DS9 did it so much better. I mean, there were, there are episodes. There, there are episodes in DS9 where you have Klingons talking, no subtitles, and the, the scene just is like, you don't really know what they're saying, but the scene flowed really well. It's like quick couple of scenes, like a battle scene, stuff like that. I was like, oh, this is great. But there is something so unnatural about the way the Klingons in this speak. And I mean, I'm at a loss for even what the Klingon story, I was excited for this this part as well when they announced it's like oh we're going to see the Klingon perspective well that's really cool I, I cannot succinctly describe like what the hell is even really going on other than to say like well they're sort of showing some of the ambiguity as well on the Klingon side but I got I have no character that I really care about there mm-hmm. so I just I feel like it's there to me it's not working and and they I think they need to change it or just drop it mm-hmm I think the intimation is that we'll get a conclusion one way or the other to the Klingon storyline at the end of the season, but we'll see what happens. Maybe this is a good time to drive into the Ash Tyler issue, as uh, Harry alluded to it earlier. So 
Harry, why don't we talk a little bit about Lieutenant Tyler and uh, what up? Well, I mean, you know, the theories were rampant on the internet the minute he was introduced. I think after the first episode, and then we started to see the female Klingon, whatever her name is, or whoever her name is, and we're not seeing, not Takuvma, is it, what's his name? Kor? I, I can't remember. Bok. Bok. So since he has, so yeah, because they abandoned Bach on the bridge of the Discovery, or not the Discovery, the bridge of the Shenju. Yeah, and since then, that earlier not episode, been seen, yeah. right? And she yeah. has said, "Well, you know, you, what you're going to have to go through to find your path to glory is going to take a great amount of sacrifice." And yeah. since he was then absent, and you were seeing her over the course of the next couple of episodes, and then Tyler comes in the Klingon prison. Coincidentally, so many people on the internet put two and two together that it was not a shock that it would seems to be obviously the case is that i guess we could talk about it to see if everyone's on the same page he's vok tyler's vok right yeah i'm on board with that theory right okay so here's the only thing i'm gonna say about that so that seems to be the case but harry if that's the case like lieutenant ash tyler is a real guy in the star trek universe right like he's a real security officer (laughs) i met him once Lorca did his research on him, right? Because he was questioning him, like, oh, when they were doing their uh, training uh, thing uh, in that sort of pseudo holodeck. And Lorca was grilling him. Like, the guy's a commissioned Starfleet officer. He doesn't just come out of nowhere. But the real Ash Tyler could have been captured and killed, and then they turned Vok yeah. into him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what, yeah, so that's Which what I'm asking. Is, what's the mechanism here is, like... No, they had like a, the real, they had a real Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was Obi-Wan, and then now it's Obi-2. They cloned him, or whatever. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Well, so is it? Is this like? Is this Ash Tyler as like a sleeper agent and like Vox? Like Vox? No, this is like this is plastic surgery. This is this is you know like classic you know next gen or even TNG when Kirk became the Romulan. His, yeah. I think his sideburns got even longer in that episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the Enterprise incident where he invaded the Romulan ship, right? Such so, a great episode. That's a great episode. Device. Kill you. So. <laughs> 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 yeah, he, this is the... Yeah, I think they did it a couple times in DS9 and then obviously TNG with Troy and then the Klingon episode in TNG. Well, in, in yeah, DS9 I'm not just talking about guys. plastic surgery, though. I'm talking about the whole thing. Like, he has... No, he's not. He's, this is not Tyler as a sleeper agent. I think this is Vok. And in order to fool... Maybe because, you know, whoever, psychiatrists or psychologists who would be, or fucking other, what's Troy's species? Uh, Betazoids. Betazoids or Betazoids, Betazoids or whoever. They had to really fuck up his brain and like brainwash him or retool that aspect of his uh, neurology where he would really believe he's Tyler and now he's unraveling. I so they gave him like, Vok. they gave him perfect English and they gave him well, all that's, the memories. I agree that with Tyler you, but, but, but that's the leap we have to take as, you know, viewers of a TV show. Yeah, he's just got his Klingon Katra. That's, that's pretty much all that he's got. Well, that's what I was, <laughs> does he, does, is that in fact the case? Does he have the Klingon version of Vox Katra? Yeah, I think it's going to be similar to like the Winter Soldier in Civil War, where she's just going to say a few words and all of a sudden Vox is like, oh, no, I just slept with that human chick. And then like things so are going to completely unravel. But so I think Andrew, it's just going to be a sequence of words. So, Andrew, you agree that or are you saying that you believe this is Vok in like in, in terms of spirit and mind, but not body in Tyler? Correct. 
Correct. Okay. Well, I mean, that's quite possible. Like, I think that I, that's kind of what I think as well. That, like, that Tyler's, like, that is Tyler and Tyler's in there. And somehow Bach is in there as well. But I don't know how they're going to play that out. If that is indeed the kill. Like, obviously, something's going on. Man. Why'd you leave him on Genesis? <laughs> I couldn't touch him. <laughs> I think that they'll, what they may actually do is that he's, like, he's kind of a sleeper agent, but he won't be able to let go of being Ash Tyler. Not, again, not too dissimilar from Battlestar Galactica to a certain degree where uh, yeah, uh, certain yeah, like silence just, yeah. they couldn't, you know, sometimes they couldn't let go of who they were pretending to be. Yes. That's kind of my theory that it's, it's not going to be, you know, there's also the possibility that, you know, the writers, like okay people are going to figure this out so we need to have like a real twist and then boom tilly is a klingon or something like that like <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know so, so i mean like writers i mean it's tough to get kind of get ahead of this thing in this age of the internet because the writers are dialed into what the fans are saying and i wouldn't even be surprised if they even changed course like maybe they thought that they were being clever and like oh yeah he's a klingon but oh shit everyone figured it out now we have to do something different I mean, maybe that's also a possibility. Yeah, I wonder if, and this is just crazy fan speculation, but fuck it, why not? He referred to himself as son of none. The uh, Vok did right, so he was like kind of nothing. I'm wondering if he was originally a plant because Laurel, who's the the female Klingon, and she said before like she's you know, from a house of spies and deceivers. Like if she or somebody like her, like they planted this guy originally, like maybe he was human and, and like he's just been an operative the whole time because he had no history either. So there's a couple of weird things going on here that I think will play into this storyline as it as it goes along. So, but I guess we'll just have to wait until January to find out. <clears throat> so speaking of, Unknown agendas. Lorca, Andrew, fuck's oh, this no. guy doing? Oh, I, I really want him to be good. I really do. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, me too. But yeah. but do you? I guess like, maybe let's get this out of the way, and Andrew, you can address it first. Do we really yeah. think that Jason Isaacs is going to stick around beyond a season of Star Trek? No, and that's where it. It's a character like Sean Bean. We're like, oh no, you know he's only going to be around for a <laughs> few episodes. Hashtag don't kill Sean Bean. Yeah, <laughs> but I think uh, he got killed enough to, uh, enough times to rival Sean Bean, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think nobody can even. They they'd have to do sixty minutes straight just to even get half of Sean Bean's death count. They would, yeah. <laughs> like I've read some speculation in terms of like the mid series, the mid season finale. Like you see him programming it, so you know he's done something to alter the course of the discovery the one fan speculation that i'm not a big fan of is that people think that he could be from the mirror universe originally which i just don't i don't like that approach i think he's That's just more in it for himself but he's so also where struggling did he send them then pardon me like where did he send them like he you said you see him override that jump right so you, yeah like what where, where he says right before that we're going home so he knew what yeah. he was doing so like where did he take them then and then they talked about like mayor universes earlier in the episode so and jonathan frakes with his big mouth kind of spoiled everything um yeah exactly <laughs> 
but I don't know if he's necessarily originally from there or if he was just playing off to everyone that were going home. Uh, I hope that he's not from the Mirror Universe. I, I think it's going to make for some interesting episodes in the next few, but I'm still struggling with it, like trying to figure out what his true agenda is. And that's what makes the character so enjoyable is that you're questioning every move. Like when I first watched the episode, I was like, oh, oh no, he's totally a good guy. And then you start analyzing it like, no, he's kind of a douche. So I still got, haven't put my finger on it, but I just hope he's not from the Mary universe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why do you hope that? Like, you just don't like the idea or you just want him to be good? Because there might be a good the, Lorca out there. Obviously, Lorca's a real guy, too, right? So there might be a... Yeah, and like uh, the Admiral mentioning that she doesn't recognize the man that he is now. And then like the story about how like he abandoned his starship and wanted to destroy so that no one would get captured. I think there are elements that could play out which could lead towards him being from the Mary universe. It just seems like a plot point to have him from there versus him struggling with uh, the PTSD, like a soldier who's trying to live in an environment now where there's like scientific discovery. I know I'm bouncing all over the place, but at the same time, I just I don't want it to be a Mary Universe character just for it to be a Mary Universe character for the fans. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Harry, what what do you think is going on here? I mean, I, I, like- I, I well, I like Lorca so far. He's the most compelling character to me that we've seen. But I still have doubts that Jason Isaacs is going to continue. I think that's an, after season one. I think they're completely going down the line where Burnham will succeed him as captain and she'll be the Kirk and Saru will be the Spock and they'll have that kind of relationship. You know, not direct relationship like the original series, but that'll be the Kirk-Spock relationship moving forward. And I think even Sonika Martin-Green kind of hinted at the possibility of her being captain moving forward. So fucking actors letting shit slip like that, it's unfortunate. But I mean, you could put two and two together with whether Isaacs would be staying or not. I hope I'm wrong. He's That's interesting theory, though, Andrew, about him being a this Lorca, being from the alternate universe. I think that'd be a nice little twist. I don't think that's the case, though. I think this Lorca is the Lorca from this universe. You know, is he is this Section 31? I guess that's a question I have for you guys. Like, he's a man of war, and I like the way Jacek Isaacs is portraying himself very deliberately different than Picard and Kirk. You know, like he says, he has different mannerisms. He stands. He doesn't say engage or punch it or let's go or you know warp speed or anything like that he's just he's purposely doing his own thing which i think is needed and that's very good do you think that this is section 31 i guess i hope not i hope not too but what was with that black i was a question for you what was with that in the second third episode after like the set the first episode after the two-hour premiere she saw the black badges Starfleet yeah. badges, and then they just dropped it. Yeah, and we never saw it again. Never seen uh, it which again. Which was weird. So yeah. I thought that's why we had a full Brian Fuller segregation at that point. They mm-hmm. filmed and written certain things up to a point, and then they were just tight for time, and they said, we'll just fill it, keep it, and we can use it later or not. I'm just, I don't know. I was under the impression they had not started principal photography before he left. May not photography, um, but ideas, scripts, ideas, and they said, "Okay, sure, you know no, definitely interesting. Lots, let's lots let's film it, and then we'll just you know keep it, and that's just kind of little nugget. And then we'll, whether we come back to it or not, then future writers would make that decision." Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't think it's section thirty-one personally. Just, it just doesn't. It's too obvious. Feel, yeah, it just doesn't feel like that. And I, I never. I mean, I hope not because I never likes the section 31 idea anyway but whatever i they kind of dropped the, the black deltas there 
since that episode. I think they just threw that in there because she was seeing it. Burnham was seeing it for the first time. And I think they were just like sort of basically like Makos from Enterprise, if you will. They're sort of special forces guards because they have all of this advanced technology. I think that was the only I think that was the only intimation there. It's fine. But you don't see it again. Went. No, you know, you don't see it again, but I think like it was always meant to not see it again. Like they put too much emphasis on it. So we're all reading into it when they never really, I think they didn't like we did it and they're like, well, shit, we didn't, that's not what we meant, but we got nowhere to go with it. So now it's too late. So that's kind of what I think happened there. I think it's just, I don't think it's a drop plot point. I think it just wasn't meant to be anything in the first place, but it was fucking cool though. That was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. I just kind of was hoping for something else. But whatever, maybe we'll get something. But going back to Lorca, I mean, I like him. He's just he's a guy I, I want to know more about him mm-hmm. i think they've done a really good job showing you know some of his vulnerabilities like with his eyes you know sensitivity to light and that torture scene and he has issues and then the fact that maybe you guys want to talk about this is this a heroic man a courageous man or is he a coward because he let he you know tells harry mudd that he allows or harry mudd volunteers that information to tyler that in the prison scene that he allows his he allowed the whole crew to die and the, and we find out later that he in fact blew them all up what do you guys think about that do you guys not recall that i recall it yeah no i was just waiting for somebody else to go first <clears throat> oh wait no okay repeat that i missed what you said well, in, in the first harry mudd episode when harry's in prison yeah and oh, oh i tyler. thought he's talking about the re- yeah, yeah, yeah i thought that was i thought that was more just him his nature of i will do whatever it takes like no matter like no matter the sacrifice in that's order fine, to win but then he saves himself instead of going down with the ship also because he like any other captain that we've seen if they, he's condemning the crew like a, a good captain would condemn his crew in a situation like that which is fine to prevent yeah. torture or information leaking to the enemy and yada and all the stuff but he would go down with the ship too uh, maybe he's just a real narcissist <laughs> he's like I'm just that important yeah, I, I guess that's the interesting question I have about him and it's hard to nail down who he is. I, why, I would. That's why he's compelling. Yeah, I think kind of based on what I've seen of the characters so far, I would say that in his mind, he's like, well, I'm the important factor here, right? So I'm the one who needs to survive. And I'm sure, you know, he, so I think he has like a weird justification for it in his own mind, right? But he's in that particular scenario too, he's like trying to say, well, you know, I'll do whatever it takes, you know, to win this war. But, you know, because I'm kind of like indispensable, you know, I'm, I can't do that. So I think in his mind, it's not necessarily cowardice because it's not like we've ever seen him run from a fight ever. Right. And I think in that particular scenario, that was just more of an extreme circumstance because he's more than willing to fight. Right. He's like he's chomping at the bit to blow up every Klingon ship that he can. Right. So in the was it the last second last episode What was the episode where they go to attempt to rescue another ship that's under attack. And it's overwhelming forces, but, you know, he puts the discovery between that other ship and Klingon fire. So I don't really find him to be a coward necessarily. Mm. I don't know. It, it is weird. Like, I mean, it's a it's a good question to, to bring up, actually. I just, I'm not sure I perceived it that way. But the moral ambiguity of this character, I mean, he's just dripping in ambiguity all the time. In I do fact, love even his collection, when, though. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. and that's a whole other 
that's a whole other section right there. What talk about this guy? Like, why does he have like this arsenal? He's got the Gorn skeleton. There's like he's got tribbles around, you know, things like that. There's so much background to this character that I kind of hope that he sticks around for maybe a couple of seasons. I mean, he's a big enough actor that I don't think he's going to tie himself down for, you know, well, sort to say like English actors are maybe a little bit different in this way where they're like, yeah, I'll, I'm totally fine like doing a, a show as long as we're keeping the run down to a short number of episodes. Yeah, I'll hang out and, and do this for a while. So hopefully he doesn't. I'm kind of hoping he sticks around for a bit. Yeah, his, his interviews give the impression that he's really enjoying this experience being in Star Trek. And what I've appreciated is like just re- reading about him despite his current feud with William Shatner. <laughs> that was um, awesome, but- by the way. <laughs> He's been blocked and he feels upset. But no, it's oh, I, I think they've I think they've I think they've made up. I think I, I think Shatner just unblocked him. Oh, hot off the presses. That's that's, <laughs> a, that's a feel good moment. We need those in the United States. But I find like what I really appreciated is Jason Isaacs when he was talking about it, like where he was initially given the script and he was given, I think, like the first three episodes. He was asking questions like, well, we can't tell you about that. He's like, I'm not going to portray this character unless you tell me everything about him. And so I've appreciated that because he's acting specifically based upon the information he has. And I think we're going to find out stuff where like he's being all heroic and macho now to make up for that moment of cowardice where he fleed the ship with all of his crew still on board and so he's just putting on this show to try and make amends for it but that's where it's like i keep questioning it, and that's what makes him my favorite character is like, i just can't figure him out and so it's tuning in to figure out more about the character that unfortunately i think he won't last past the season but there's so much more than what we know that i'm excited to find out about him yeah, there's so many facets to this guy, and he is so interesting. I really hope he... I mean, I was actually kind of digging the idea that he might be from the Mirror Universe, but just the more we talk about it, I hope that he's not, because that almost Cheap, minimizes... It. I think it cheats it. Yeah, it's just less... Yeah, it's, it's more interesting to think that this is a guy who's has post-traumatic stress, and, you know, as kind of what Nathan said there, like, he would have gone down with the ship, but he feels that he himself is an important figure, so that he has to survive, but that he's bearing that burden of survival that he would have i think that he thinks that he would have rather gone down with his ship but he had to bear the burden of survival in order to continue the war effort like things like that make him so fascinating unfortunately it feels like this type of character is not long for the star trek world simply because it's going to be hard to reconcile a lot of these items over the course of several seasons. That's too bad. Uh, however, that, that would be amazing if he if they would continue this and then there's an arc well, for him as well. Yeah, and I think that it's entirely possible that there will be. I hope that there will be. I don't think he's so big that he would. And yeah, and as Nathan said, like don't forget, they only do 13 episodes and he's not the main character. So his shooting schedule would be... He would have plenty of opportunity to be in in other in other things, other pictures or theater. If that's his, if that's his bag, I think it would be great to have him continue on the show here. I don't really want them to move too much on the dynamic of the show here. I, I don't you see don't Burnham think that they're just going to go down the route no. of saying Burnham's going to inherit the captaincy. I don't. I don't because don't see the twist where her life sentence for treason gets commuted to captaincy of the most advanced ship in the Federation. This is Starfleet. Chris Pine's Captain Kirk four days out of of Starfleet. I'm that was that was Jay that was Jay Abrams Starfleet. This is clearly much more nuanced than that. I don't see she's not going to the captain's chair 
from an uncommissioned officer specialist, Burnham, no, there's no reason why she would leap over Saru or they would have another captain or any of that stuff. I just don't see it. That would have to be a pretty spectacular, spectacularly heroic act. Blow up a Death Star. Series of acts. She she would have to blow up the entire mirror universe while it's on the brink of invasion in order for this to. uh, (laughs) That would be a fucking awesome storyline, by the way. That would be pretty neat, actually. Yeah. So, so no, I, you know what? I don't see that, Harry. And the reason why I don't is because then you just kind of put things into a more conventional Star Trek dynamic. And I do think they want to maybe, if not avoid it outright, then to play around with it and throw it on its ear a bit more. I just don't see them doing that sort of conventional scene. Before I saw the show, that's what I thought was going to happen. Before I knew anything about the show, or just sort of you know knew the characters and stuff. I, that's what I thought was going to happen as well. But as soon as I watched the pilot, I was like, oh, that's out the window. Like She's going to prison, mm. you know, and she is guilty of what she did. So I don't see it. But anyway, but I hope I hope Lorca sticks her I think he's an excellent character. I think he's fantastic. And Jason Isaacs is his boss. So that's awesome. I guess then, side question, seeing Lorca this way, does it make you miss the traditional, you know, optimistic, you know, leader, whether it's a Captain Kirk or a, a Captain Picard, you know, guy who's spearheading your show? Is there any sense of that you miss? I don't. I'll answer that first. I don't miss it for two reasons. One, I mean, I could watch an episode of TNG every single day if I need to. <clears throat> and two, I think it's neat to see some of these other characters who are optimistic, like Tilly. Stamets is optimistic, even though he's kind of a jerk. I think that Burnham is also optimistic, but she has a very skewed view of it. And we can talk a little bit about that as well when we get into her. It's cool to see these characters trying to be maybe what we would consider a a little more traditional Star Trek and they have to operate under the thumb of this person who appears to not be that way. So that's just a lot more interesting. It's like they're trying to like they're trying to break out of these things that hold humanity back and you can see them actively doing it and even you can see it inside the characters themselves. So he's almost the perfect representation of that. Like if he's acting honestly in certain scenes where you see some of the wonder where he's like look at all these possibilities we're not just talking about exploring the galaxy we're talking about exploring alternate universes and there are pieces that in him where you can see this true stars true or traditional starfleet captain coming out but he has to do what is necessary first i mean i think that's i think it's great it's not it's traditional go to the devron system Let's just face it. <laughs> you gotta go to the devron system yeah <laughs> yeah so that's my take no, I agree. It's fresh, right? So, you know, we don't want to see the same thing, but I just want to see the arc. I would like to see an arc where they get there, where we would see someone who's matured and has the right mentality of how Starfleet should be by the end of this episode. I'm not sure but that that's what the show's going to be about. That's just kind of a wish list I have. Mm. Why don't we bring it in? We haven't talked much about Michael Burnham, and she is our protagonist, I suppose not quite the traditional ensemble cast here with as we know the captain at the at the head of the cast here but michael burnham i kind of wanted to get everybody's take here not just on sonequa's performance but character itself her backstory and her history and her actions uh, andrew why don't, why don't you tell us what what you think about her i definitely have enjoyed the development of the character uh, i think there are certain elements that i would prefer that they had left out i'm still struggling with the fact that she had to have Sarek as a surrogate father i think that was thrown in for fan service unnecessarily just to make a connection i've enjoyed 
enjoyed the character, but it, it feels a little too, I think, familiar. Or we've seen this kind of arc portrayed in Star Trek before, like where it, Spock went through it. So how so, though? Like, what do you mean by that? Well, Spock throughout, it's more portrayed in, in the movies is his struggle of dealing with being human and Vulcan. And for her, she's struggling with being raised as a Vulcan while being a full-blooded human. And she's making the adjustment. So initially, like, she was very Vulcan in the way that she acts. And so now it's like she's growing up as a teenager like oh my god i've got hormones this guy's attractive like oh i'm finally gonna kiss a boy i've enjoyed the performance i think you can see why they waited for her to be finished with the walking dead to be added to the show because i think she's brought a great acting element to it beyond i think the fantastic acting that the rest of the, the characters have had but with her it just it's not as interesting as the other character development that i've seen in the show i want to know more about saru i want to know more about tilly and tyler stamith and the doctor but for her, it, I just haven't had that same excitement. Like the, so she your um, least favorite character, Andrew? Just out of curiosity, out of the main characters? I think she's the least interesting. It's not that I don't like her. I just find that there's so much more with the other characters that I want to know more about versus this arc, which seems to be very predictable. But okay. I, I like the change of portrayal in the sense that it's not the captain who's the, the main act, the main focus of the series. It's her, but it, it just seems a little too cliche and typical redemption arc versus the ambiguity that you see with the rest of the cast. Okay, Harry, what do you think? I'm in a complete agreement with Andrew. What? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I agree. I think she she's done a great job and obviously you're you're seeing more of the story following her especially earlier in the first few episodes i enjoy her relationship with saru and i think if they expand on that more the show will be stronger for it i think those two have a great chemistry budding chemistry i think you guys like tilly a little bit more than me but she's kind of really a side character so i'm not really counting her as part of the main crew from my perspective but i think outside of tilly i think she's the least compelling character for me so far i like her better than stamets as a character or someone i could relate to and i cheer for her as a protagonist because she seems to make the most sense but i just don't find that the execution of her character has been that strong or as good as the other characters like this whole vulcan you know side storyline of her being that i think that was just terrible i'm not a fan of any of this stuff with the vulcan you know her heritage her upbringing the relationship to Sarek. i think that's all just garbage shit as i'd like to say it <laughs> needs to be put away and it's seems to be not a not too much of a focus outside of that for the pilot in that one episode she's just you know she i don't see a lot of logic coming out of her okay nathan what do you think yeah you know i was really i was really excited about this character i really liked her in the pilot and i thought the character were in the pilot was very compelling with her particular backstory and i don't think that they've capitalized on it it's not the actress's fault i think she's actually been doing a really great job with what she's been given but i'm really at a loss to understand like what the drive is for her because it's like she, it's a bit of that spock character where she's trying to not i mean but spock was trying to find his place in the world and trying to be well yeah i'm half human but i've chosen this vulcan way of life she has not really chosen a vulcan way of life she just grew up on vulcan and then through i mean we kind of get through a series of flashbacks and stuff like that that you know she's she was never 
attempting to be Vulcan. And it's not as though she rejects her humanity. So I really don't know what they're trying to say with this character. It's, it's a little bit confusing. I do like that she has a sense of ethics, right? I mean, like there are things, are, the episodes with the tardigrade and what she believes is the the ethical decision with the tardigrade. You know, the second Harry Mudd episode, she brings up, well, you know, we need to save these space whales and then in the last two episodes you know we need to save these i can't remember what the name of the aliens were the on the crystal planet there but so there are interesting aspects to, to this character but it's completely baffling to me as to why i should care about she was raised on vulcan and is, is like she's completely human and she doesn't really deny that so i don't know exactly what the discovery kind of is to it because there's this weird struggle but it's not like oh i have to maintain my vulcan qualities so the signals are kind of mixed i don't think the writing is really that strong but she has been doing a really good job of it and i think that the redemption story has been a little bit all over the place with her at times like she seems very jaded about well yeah you know i'm a mutineer and and, and i only have a certain amount of time left here you know I'm yeah help and you know i'm gonna be gone soon and yeah it's kind of a little all over the place yeah, I just think that the writing for the character has not really lived up to the promise of the pilot. And I think I feel like the character has kind of regressed a little bit be, since the pilot. And I don't know if that was ever because of the death of Georgiou. You know, we never talked about the fact that they ate Captain Georgiou. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do you guys think of that? Okay, let's, let's save that for I can't believe time. I just got there from talking yeah. about Gurney's mm. journey. But uh, yeah, I just, to, just, to, just to just to cap it, well, I, we got to talk about this. Oh, just yeah, to yeah. cap it with with Burnham is that I feel they haven't lived up to the promise of the the character of the the pilot and whatever happened yeah. afterwards. I don't. I just don't think maybe we'll get it in the next the second part of the season. But they're kind of dropping the ball a little bit for me. Okay, well, good opinions, everybody. Good good job there. I, I hate to inform you all of how incorrect you are. It's going to be my happen. job Jeez. today here. Yeah, so she, uh, there is nothing cliche about this. Is not, this is a redemption story, but not of her seeking it. She is simply, as she said, is a Starfleet first officer. And even though she doesn't hold that rank, that is who she is. So that is how she behaves. She is arrogant and thinks she is better than everybody, which comes as a result of her Vulcan upbringing, which is why it's important that we have that backstory as we all know how arrogant Vulcans are, even though they don't think that they are, and they are they believe that they're better than all other races because of their logic, and to them that's not arrogance, that's just logic, and she bears that as well. She always knows better. She's always right. Lorca even says as much to her in episode 3 where he says, I know how much you love being right, and you only the only thing you hate more is uh, being wrong. So she assumes she knows better. And you can see it in her actions. I mean, the pilot speaks for itself, where she is the first Starfleet officer to ever mutiny against her captain and starts a war. So there's consequences there. She also, in the first episode after that, episode three, where she figures she steals Tilly's saliva to get into the secure area on the ship, like she's entitled to do so. And she just behaves that she's she knows better. So that is her driving point. She doesn't know it, 
She doesn't think it consciously, but that is all right there in front of us. And I think that's fucking terrific because we've never seen a character, not at least a main character who acts with such arrogance and superiority to everybody without telling us all the time how much better she is. Like that, if this was a character in Star Trek Enterprise, she'd, you know, which, you know, like DePaul would just be telling us how much better she is than everybody much more subtle here. So that is the last word on that. No, but hold on. Like, but what is... I completely disagree. What is her... What is... The thing, though, is that she has, like, this constant conflict within herself but i don't understand where that's coming where that's coming from exactly what conflict, are you, what conflict are you guys referring to where she's trying to reconcile this idea of being human who's been raised vulcan i get the arrogance and that does come from the vulcan upbringing but it's as though she is struggling to come to terms with who she actually is but it's not as though she not, ever thought she it. was vulcan where yeah, do we see that you've seen it quite a bit yeah well, okay well no we'll name one the developing relationship with Tyler. Like she's struggling to deal with these emotions which Vulcans are taught to suppress, but well, she's like, never been in well, she's her, never her, been in love before. The yeah. relationship with Tilly. Like, I mean, she's so standoffish in such a weird way. Well, what's the struggle? Like, that's just like she just like I'm better than everybody, and there's this person who's trying to be friends with me. Like, obviously, that's gonna generate see Jeff. I uh, think you're taking a couple of things, a couple of scenes at face value. <laughs> I mean, no, that's, I that's, think that no. you're taking it. No, no, I think you're taking it at face value. No, I, I think they've dropped you. Know, you <laughs> Best insults ever. So you're saying that you're reading into it more than me, and I'm taking the face value? Yes. <laughs> demonstrate well no but i mean just give me an example but you haven't given me your examples <laughs> i gave you all of the examples i told you about how she broke into the place uh, like like she's all entitled i told you how she no i'm just saying that she's like i know better i told you all of this stuff yeah but you're saying that she just feels entitled so she broke into the place because she's in a strange place and some strange shit's going, you saw that scene where she was sleeping and then the fucking alarms go off and they say black alert and then Tilly was saying, oh, you don't want to talk about it. So she's, you know, kind of saying, what the fuck have I gotten myself into? Where the fuck am I? So she, she uses her smarts. Kept, no, she should have just kept her head down like, I'm going to be out of here soon anyway, which she always said. She was at, go, heading, just, okay, just, what, what, who gives a fuck? She's already headed for a life sentence. I might as well find what the fuck am I, where the fuck I am. So she's using her smarts, which is fine. Those are good scenes. But I mean, I really don't think that's really any different than any other Starfleet officer that we've seen. I've seen no, every but- other Starfleet officer in that kind of weird predicament where they're going to break out of wherever they are or they're going to do their investigative and due diligence. Yeah, but it wasn't, but she's a Starfleet officer. It wasn't her right to go poking around where her note, where she didn't belong. Oh, cause she did just get kidnapped from a uh, prison transport. So well, she I got think- rescued from a prison transport that was about to be destroyed. What well, does it matter? But now there's some weird shit going on. Well, no, obviously there's some weird shit going on. What I'm saying is that she isn't thinking, well, I'm so much better than Muddy. I'm going to go take a look. She just in her core and her soul. Dude, that's is every like, want- that is every protagonist that you've seen before. I'm sorry. I've seen that in every single Star Trek. It doesn't episode. matter if you've. It doesn't matter if you've seen it before. For her, it's different. She is placing herself above everybody. I see part of what you're saying. I just think that you're taking something that on a very broad stroke and you're making it bigger than it is. See, I think that you're making less of her <laughs> than what it is. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, I'm I, actually I, giving I, you credit for doing I this. I agree to disagree. I'll take the high road. Hey, you could take the low ground. I don't know. Where was Anakin? That's you. I'll take the high ground. And you can get your legs chopped off. And we'll <laughs> I called it first. I got dibs. You got the low ground. I said, Anakin's you. There you go. Guys, they ate Captain <laughs> And he totally are we, are we, yes, let let's get there. Are we going to let this stand? Like, are we not going to talk about how I weird this is? I could not believe. <laughs> that was awesome. And they said it's like, I could such not an believe comment. That right? Harry It was so off the cuff. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm just wondering yeah. why it took nearly 50 years for this to happen. I've been waiting for it every <laughs> single Star Trek series. Like, why aren't they just going to eat each other? Like, this is just, like, goes down the direction of Hannibal. Great okay, show. I, I guess oh, just, great show. Okay, the let's, just, let's just quickly so go around the, the table. Like or dislike? <laughs> why don't we start there? Dislike with a passion. You dislike that they ate it, her. Okay. That's what we're yeah. talking about. I liked yeah. it. I, I liked it. I thought it was fresh. And I think that they specifically mentioned... As fresh as Georgiou was? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know how fresh she really is. So, anyway. Oh, there's so many comments. <laughs> but anyways. No, I kind of liked it in a way because it was so weird and it, disturbing. Yeah, it was weird and disturbing. And they're trying to do the Klingons different. And they eat the heart of their enemies or whatever. But weren't they also starving? They were short on food. I'm yeah, not sure that true. was the point. But I think they brought that up a couple of times. I'm sure she wasn't the last item of food they ate either. Like, they were starving, but... She was dessert. I think they... Yeah, they did because there was the... I can't even remember now, but there was the that other Klingon who came to the tomb ship or whatever they call it and said, yeah, I have food. I can give food to your crew because I think the implication was that they didn't have any food. Yeah. Or their stocks were running low or something like that. Yeah, yeah that was the I don't. I don't think that was the intent of, this, of them dropping this little nugget, though. No, I think it was definitely like, oh, well, we... Shot gain fat. the power of our enemies by eating them. Yeah. Because yeah. Michelle Yeoh is not a big person. That's not going to go, you know, you're not going to feel like chicken wings. Let's set them all. <laughs> no, but I agree with you. You got the right sentiment there, Nathan, is that they're eating the, like they're eating the soul of their enemy, whether they can't escape or they've trapped it or that's their conquering reward or victorious reward or whatever it may be. It seems Klingon-ish, even though we haven't seen that yeah. more barbaric or horrific action of the Klingons in the past. I mean, I'm surprised this wasn't part of Worf's bachelor party where he was going to kill his <laughs> own groomsmen and eat him. <laughs> or you just see him like licking his eating jaw. Wesley Crusher's heart. <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't feel that much of a stretch that a Klingon would do that. And this is also a cult. Like, this is what I mentioned in the original, uh, the previous episode, is that these particular Klingons, they feel like a righteous cult, like something you would see, like an ISIS or a Al-Qaeda or a terrorist group. They felt, it feels like they're kind of labeling these guys in that light, and I'm not sure if you guys agree or not. This just feels like I don't know. I'm reading that. too much into it, man. Actually, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm. I'm just kidding. Just <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> That's okay. There's a weird like extremist element to the Klingons that we've seen so far. But and it could just be them. This is like Takuvma. Like he's kind of like this outcast. Which is, you know, he's not like the common guy who's preaching sermons and stuff like that. He's kind of like the guy who's kind of brainwashing people to follow him in a cult. The ship itself is a sarcophagus ship. Like, it's got the previous dead Klingons attached to it. Like, that's got cult written all over it. Like, I'm not going to decorate my house with, like, former coffins or, like, whatever. It just, it, it's, I, I like Harry's approach to this where it just, it seems like a off 
cult of the Klingon Empire. Maybe they'll get a little bit more honor in the next few years before they meet up with Kirk. Maybe. I think I agree with that. Yeah, they definitely feels very extremist cults. Like, that's a really neat aspect. I just wanted to weigh in on the eating of the captain there. I don't, I didn't get to weigh in on that. That was horrifying and awesome. I can't believe they did it. And I think Nathan alluded to it earlier. Just, they just kind of mentioned it. You know, it was so, it was just that it was an off the cuff remark. They talked about it for a bit. I liked how the guy said he was using her com, or not, it's not a com badge, but her Delta badge as a toothpick. That yeah, was awesome. That was, uh, <laughs> I like that. That was, yeah. was terrific. I think it was one of those where well, we never saw Michelle Yeoh's body, and then the next episode, like, yeah, we ate her. Yep, no. Well, it was a few episodes later, I think, so he, I was always wondering if we were going to see her. It should have been a femur. A femur. I'm not the toothpick, right? <laughs> <laughs> this belonged to your captain. Now go fetch. <laughs> Was wearing like her spine or like on his belt like a predator. That'd be awesome. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the topic of her, I'm not sure if I'm actually supposed to do this, but like one of the theories is that we'll see her again, but in the mirror universe, which I think would be pretty cool to see. Oh yeah, I could see that. That'd be awesome. That. that would be awesome. Where like she... Saru and Burnham now have to go up against their mentor, but an evil version of her that probably has like the same type of tactics and style that she did before. I want... You have like the, the mirror universe midriff. Oh, that that, awesome. uh, I want Saru to be like, you know, this courageous, like, you know, Rambo-esque character in the Mirror Universe, and he just goes on <laughs> against his scaredy-cat self. I think that'd be an interesting conversation. Yeah, if he was much more, maybe courageous wouldn't be right for the Mirror Universe, but more Rambo-esque, I suppose, just just more of a badass. That'd be kind of neat. I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with the Mirror Universe episode or episodes we don't know what we're going to see over there and i'm under the impression it is the next episode but we'll find it out because that's the episode that frakes directed i thought yeah it will be. that's the next yeah. one i mean it, the, based on I the ending of the so. last one seems right yeah i just remember him saying like he directed like episode number eight and i know the next one's episode 10 but if you subtract the first two as i commonly do like i don't anyway it doesn't matter but Okay, well, we've covered we've covered Burnham. We've kind of covered most of the episodes. I think we're kind of coming to a natural conclusion here, gentlemen. So I do have one couple questions for you, and you can answer them at the same time. So we're modernizing Trek. I just want to get your inputs when you guys heard the F word and we got Klingon nudity here. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So Nathan, go first, please. I was floored when they dropped an F bomb. Absolutely floored. I, I rewind. It's like, what? No, wait a second. Like, I, I must have misheard that or something. Am I am I drinking too much? What is happening here? <laughs> and then the Klingon nudity again was another. Whoa, this is weird. I found the the F bomb more strange because they kind of lingered because it was two of them that said it. Yeah, they said yeah, it. Yeah. I can't remember who said it first, and then then Tilly, Tilly, said Tilly it first. and then Stamets. Yeah. Tilly and then Stamets. Yeah. Oh, is it that? Is that the way it went? Okay. Yeah, because Tilly was like, "That's uh, so fucking cool" or something, and then she's like, "Whoops." Stamets oh. was like, "No, yeah." It's fucking cool. Yeah, really strange. And I thought the nudity was, I don't know, out of place. Didn't need to see that. I mean, I kind of get it like in the context of the scene, but it's like, well, I don't know. I know they're trying to push the boundaries with this show, but it's like, okay, like, you know, maybe ease us into it just a little bit. (laughs) I dug it. I dug both. And I'll tell you why. Because it feels like it's part of the feel overall of the show where this feels like a really premium format television show not just modern tv but like really premium and maybe an f-bomb and some alien nudity aren't what you would typically associate as sort of microcosms of that but you know you, you had if you watch 
you know, TNG, Voyager, DS9, uh, and then even Enterprise to a certain extent, they all have sort of a similar aesthetic to them. And it's kind of cold. And it's, I don't know what the word is for it. It's sort of, it's a little sterile, I suppose. Less so on DS9, just because the set design was a, a bit more organic. But it still has that, that Star Trek sterility to it. And when you bring in some of these other items, it starts to make it feel a little bit more real world to me. And that that kind of falls into the premium format. So I thought, I mean, I was shocked too. I almost rewound the F-bomb as well as Nathan there. I was taken aback, but eh, fuck it, man. People drop F-bombs, baby. It happens. I don't care if it's the 22nd century or the 2nd century. It's not going away. No, it's just I thought the F-bomb, like, I love that scene because it's just like these characters seem much more human human to the humans that we know today than like what we've seen in the past and like having that moment especially when they're talking about the science that they are discussing it seemed like natural slip from tilly and stamets confirming like yeah this is fucking cool science like it was i thought that was a, a really neat scene the, the nudity i think was just done to try and shock shock factor just because Resty and i had a conversation about this where it's like you don't normally see like it's a rape scene and you typically see it's like a female character being raped but here it's a male character being raped and I think they're trying to really hammer home like this is a shocking thing that we're not used to seeing and so throwing in some Klingon boob maybe was supposed to enhance the shockness factor but that one I didn't find as impactful and I think as well placed as the F-bombs for me that neither are a big deal you know in this day and age of Jeff as you want to label it premium format TV after watching several seasons of Game of Thrones nothing really shocks at this point I just don't think it was necessary either of them and I think Star Trek being the staple of I know we want to get more real relationships or more grounded realism and people can relate to people I mean do I really need people to swear to relate to them I really don't think so and I think that the Star Trek would take the moral high ground of not having the requirement of having either of these factors and I think that's one of the better aspects of Star Trek from a hopeful, optimistic nature of where society would go. Not saying that society would not swear or have sex. That's all a natural part of life, but just to better yourselves. And I think that, and as I agreed with Andrew, I think that the Klingon boob is just meant for shock. It was nothing more. It, it, it would be different if this was, say, Sonika, Martin Green, and Tyler, and they had a sex scene. And you caught a glimpse of a butt or a boob or whatever. I think that's a different approach. Here, it's just Klingon, a quick scene of Klingon boob. And you know, I agree with more with Andrew. I think that's for shock value more than anything else. So I didn't like that necessarily, but it wasn't something that I'm saying, fuck this shit, you know, like some other purists may say. But I just think Star Trek is above all this nonsense. It doesn't need to be there. I'm not saying it doesn't have to be there. I mean, it's there. It's fine. I'm just saying it doesn't need to. The only thing I'll say again on that, I mean, I think the F-bomb, I mean, they could have taken that out and it wouldn't have hurt the episode at all. It was a laugh. So what you guys are saying about the shock value of the Klingon nudity, I think that was done intentionally because we're because it was disturbing and shocking. And like the shock value was there, but we're seeing that scene through Tyler's eyes and he's freak the fuck out when it happens so i think they put it in there to freak us the fuck out to kind of put us in there with tyler i was I think already that was freaked out seeing the fucking back man I yeah like, i was too actually yeah i didn't even notice the boob the rest of it was horrifying enough it was that was Ooh. enough 
And that's what yeah. I mean. Like you could still see a side shot with her arm covering the side boot, and you get yeah, yeah, all the didn't... rest of that stuff, and you still get the gyrations of the sex and the movements or whatever in the morning and groaning and the fucking screaming to the skies. I don't know who fucking died. I think Klingon supposed someone's supposed to die for the, for them to. That's right. That's the Klingon death. That's the, the yeah. death call. Yeah, so... warning them to to Stovacor, Like, get ready. <laughs> Maybe they do that when they climax. So, you know, beware Stovacor. <laughs> <laughs> no, she killed his dick. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but i mean i understand what you're saying jeff i'm just saying that you could do that without showing the boot yeah i think you're right i think they could have in that context they could have but i just i don't think it was gratuitous i think that was purpose of it was there but they could have done without it it's fine but but yeah i don't think i think it's at the end of the day i think it's a non-issue no it's an issue. i just hope that this is not a trend because you know mm-hmm. you know their cbs is gonna say well i gotta fucking compete with hbo and yeah that's I, what they're gonna do yeah. this is where i'm coming from this is a business standpoint this is not for star trek's sake this is not a creative standpoint it's a business standpoint yeah and yeah i'm okay drop but the occasional thing but yeah you're right we don't want it to become game of thrones in space or anything like that so well i wouldn't mind game uh, of thrones in space if it's called game of thrones in space Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> space, space dragons and shit oh that would wicked as long as shatner's uh, in it then i'm game <laughs> he, yeah he could play the he could play the night king in space <laughs> he is the night king because he's already a zombie <laughs> <laughs> he looks good for a zombie but let's face it he's um, the king he is the king all right let's just start to wrap it up there guys we won't just jump off like that but let's go around just a couple final thoughts or any other questions you want to pose to the group before we wrap it up harry did you have anything else you wanted to just jump in on there no i think we covered it all you know favorite characters i think we said favorite episode i guess the question i would have is we i guess we'll answer it in our final comments but so i'll ignore that one but how about least favorite episode or moments that you've seen that made you question oh is this gonna really work or not did any of you have any of those moments or any episodes you're going oh shit this does not look good not that we would judge it based on only one instant or episode right yeah so yeah, we'll answer those questions uh, along with final thoughts, perhaps, because I think those are definitely important pieces to cover. So Andrew, why don't you jump in there? There hasn't really been an episode that I'm like, oh, this isn't going the direction that I'd like to see. I think for me, it's funny because it's the first 10 minutes of the pilot where it just there's so much exposition and them doing the just how they were discovered by the Shenzhou, that discussion in itself. It just I don't think the, the first 10, 15 minutes of the, the pilot were well directed and it wasn't good writing. But besides that, I haven't been disappointed with the season at all. There hasn't been an episode that we've walked away going, that wasn't good. It was like every episode has been enjoyable. Which has been part of why I think this season has been so great. Yeah. Any other final thoughts or questions you want to pose to the group? No, I think we'd certainly covered everything definitely want to talk about today. All right, right, Nathan, your turn. I think the episode with the logic extremists and the Sarek assassination attempt, that was my least favorite episode. I mean, we got some good backstory to Burnham, but I don't know, there is something I didn't really care. I don't care for the actor who is playing Sarek. Mm. I kind of also feel that. I mean, there was sort of a neat, and I read about later, there was a neat sort of shout out to the Star Trek animated series in one of the episodes with Burnham saying how Amanda would read them. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Yes, thank you. Yeah, which was kind of a, which was referenced in the animated series. That was sort of a weak episode, I felt like. I mean, we get some good backstory, but I don't know. There there was something bothersome about like replaying this, this same scene over and over again. You could sort of see like where it was going. I think you could see it coming from a mile away. Overall, though, final thoughts on the series up to this point 
point. There are things about it that are not very Star Trek, which, you know, maybe bug me a little bit. But overall, I find the show very compelling. You know, I find all the actors or the characters compelling, you know, quibbles aside. And, you know, I'm excited to see what they do with the next half of the season. I have no idea what the hell is going on or even what the direction of the show is. But you have to sort of forgive shows in their first season. This is not an uncommon thing. Star Trek especially. So I'm excited to see what comes forward. And, you know, I'm really willing to give it a chance. I mean, I watched all of Enterprise. So I'm a high threshold for, you know, what Star Trek can do before I'm going to like, all right, I'm done with you guys. Choose your pain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, choose your pain. Voyager or Enterprise. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, Voyager. Yeah, Voyager. Voyager, yeah. Because there's kind of, there's actually kind of some fun there to have. There's something so depressing about Enterprise. Yeah, it was so bland. Oh yeah. Well, it didn't hit its stride. It didn't really figure out what it was until the last season, where they also like, really had some fun. Oh yeah. Also, Scott Bakula. If you watch him walk on the show, it's like, man, I haven't taken a shit in like two days. I gotta yeah, get was, out of here. I gotta, gotta finish this like scene. A, it's almost like the Riker lurch in a way. Only he didn't quite pull <laughs> yes, it off. Exactly. But he was doing it on purpose. Yeah. Like it's not because yeah. he had a. Oh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, we could do a whole other podcast on that. That's in the mirror universe. We don't do that here. Uh, <laughs> Enterprise, is, Enterprise has been banished. So as far as, you know, Harry, your questions there, you know, low points or least favorite episode, I, I can't, I, I keep looking back at Lepe. I actually kind of liked a lot about it. So I this is the uh, Sarek episode. Point. Yeah, the Sarek episode. Yeah, yeah. Probably the low point, but there was even, there was stuff in there that I enjoyed. So... So, you know, it was okay. But yeah, I find it, it's a very compelling show and I'm digging it so far. I know it's not conventionally Star Trek, but anybody who says this isn't Star Trek hasn't watched a single episode of Deep Space Nine. I mean, this has that DNA all all through it and around it. It's off to such a great start. I mean, shit, for, for the first nine episodes of every other Star Trek, aside from the original series, that's a bit different, but the first nine episodes of DS9, TNG, Voyager, Enterprise, holy shit. Like, they're, those, those shows were lucky to not have been canceled right off the fucking bat. They were not good, and and this has kind of hit the ground running. So I think it's it's pretty compelling so far as you know as far as final thoughts. I love how it looks. I think the characters are excellent across the board. Yeah, I'm digging it, baby. It's great. So Harry, did you put in your final thoughts? No, already? I didn't know we were doing final thoughts, but I could I can do that. We're doing it sounds good. No, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing so far. I don't think that I'm hooked. It hooked means that I'm I'm still interested to watch, but I maybe it's just a point in my life where I'm just a little different in terms of time and free time mentality as well. I wouldn't say that I'm yet a massive fan, but I'm intrigued and interested to see what's coming next. My fandom has not hit; they have not grabbed me by the bootstraps and said I've, it's as much must watch TV as of yet. But they're on the right track, and they're doing a better job, as you guys mentioned, that than the previous shows in terms of first season quality. I'm intrigued with the characters; they're compelling. Michael Burnham still a little bit of a question mark for me so far. As we talked about, Jeff, I'll disagree with you. She's good, but still a question mark. Yeah, Lethe or that Sarek episode is the shittiest one yet. I agree with Nathan. That actor's terrible. It was just all fan service.
Jesus and to incorporate him. And yeah, I think they've, to me, they've dropped the thread of her logic and her struggle so far. We'll see if that continues or not, but I hope it doesn't because I really don't think they need to explore that any further. And it's just, I didn't enjoy seeing what I saw. Her fight scene with the mental Katra, Sarek as well, was laughably bad as well. That was fucking terrible. Well, that guy needs to get worked hard. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Anyways, but I'm enjoying what I'm seeing overall. The Klingon stuff, I think, needs to improve a little bit. I need more exploration there. But then they blowed the fuck up the ship of the dead. So looks like we'll just get Spy Master Tyler and whether he's Vok or Katra Vok or whatever, we'll find out. But interested to see where it's going next. But And it's a better start than other season one episodes. But I'm not 100% sold. I'm maybe 75% sold, but not 100% sold yet. But it's a good start. But considering comparison to other season ones, you probably say this is a rare antiquity for Star Trek. That it's yeah, it. for Star Trek. Yeah, for yeah. Star Trek so far. I think just simply that Star Trek's back. Like that to me, like it's become a Sunday ritual for me, like rushing to, to watch it as soon as it gets posted. Like there was one time we were up at like four o'clock in the morning and like, what are we going to do? Like, oh, let's watch like Star Trek since we didn't watch it last night. For me, it's just that feeling of getting the Star Trek back that we've missed for such a long time. And I remember having this discussion with Harry, like when the Star Trek 09 came out where it was just so different. And I remember having this and I said it to Wrestling, like, listen, if like if we have to go through like JJ movies in order to to get a series back i will go through jimmy movies just so we can get star trek back on tv and and, you may- and we, we got through it and thankfully the third movie wasn't that terrible but it's just the feeling of star trek being back and yeah it's got some hiccups it's not perfect there are some things that we can quibble but for me it's just having a show like this back on tv and enjoying it as much as i have like the first seasons we've talked about it are just awful for the other series minus the original series like god when i saw like new space nine blow up i think it was in season two it was like a preview i remember running to school saying it's like oh my gosh Finally, they're going to blow up Deep Space Nine and it ends up being my favorite series by far of all of the, the Star Treks. But simply put, it's back and I'm loving it. It's not perfect, but it doesn't need to be because it has the spirit of Star Trek. I guess as, as Harry alluded to there, would you say it's as far as Star Trek goes, a rare antiquity for you, Andrew? I wouldn't say quite yet. I want to reserve judgment till the end of season one. I'm just a little nervous that they may make too much fan service, which I don't think is needed. If you compare it against other season ones, absolutely. It still has a long way to go to, to get to that rare antiquity when you compare it to like Deep Space Nine and certain seasons of the next generation. It's getting there, but I will wait until the end of the season. I just don't want them to mess up, I think, what they've set up nicely for the first nine episodes. Yeah. Nathan, rare antiquity? I don't know. I'm kind of a little bit on the fence. I'm, I kind of agree with Harry in that it's a rare antiquity for Star Trek first seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's where I fall. I'm going to agree with that as well. We only have nine episodes to judge it on. So against nine episodes of Star Trek, yeah, rare antiquity. Obviously, the whole series will have to stand against that, hopefully, many years down the road. So, all right. Well, that's our mid-season recap of Star Trek Discovery. Thanks to everybody for joining. We're right around the two-hour mark, which I think is a record for four of us on, on the show, <laughs> which is a good job, guys. Yeah, tight. So, Harry, I have been hotly anticipating the end of tonight's episode, and I hope you didn't build it up too much, but you've been teasing well, for I, three I weeks, I think. Maybe I let this slip a while ago, but maybe you forgot. What up? Okay, so anyways, 
two weeks time we are seeing star wars episode eight the last jedi return of the man luke skywalker for episode seven we did go through a little trial by fire in which we reviewed the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy prior to the force awakens so i thought we would do something similar yet different Uh where we are going to review next week the ewok tv movies Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure, and Ewoks, the battle for Endor. I may be the only one on this show talking about it. (laughs) No holiday special? No, no holiday special. No, I figured I would be kind this Christmas. That's my Christmas gift to you all. (laughs) So we will not do that. I tried watching that last year. I got five minutes in and I was done. You can't actually like, you have to like watch it just in snippets. Yeah, I think so. It's so unwatchable. Yeah. Well, I just think, you know, it's just funny. That thing is just a different beast altogether. I don't even really think you could really talk about it. I I don't really know what you say about the holiday special. But, anyways, we're doing the Ewok TV movies. That's our lead up to The Last Jedi. Jeff, did that tickle your fancy or. Harry, you never disappoint. I'll say that. <laughs> no, but did you anticipate that was what I was going to say? Or? No, it, it was not. I actually, I wasn't sure. And then earlier today, I'm like, it's Christmas time. What if he's the, what if he does the holiday special? So, <laughs> well, I've got so something, thank you. I've got something different for episode, a lead up for episode nine. And I'll spoil it now. Ooh. It's not the holiday special. He's already planning ahead. I'm already planning ahead. I already know what I'm doing. But anyway, right. that's something different. So. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Now you got to leave me on the hook for two years for that one, you dick. So thanks a lot. <laughs> hey, man. That's what I do. <laughs> that's what you do. And I'd be disappointed if you didn't. So, okay, guys. Well, thanks again for joining in. We'll talk to you next time for the Ewok Adventures. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. And see you then. All right. Well, hopefully you guys right. will join us. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that doesn't sound promising. Yeah. Wouldn't miss it. <laughs> it's been a whole lot of fun. Thanks, guys. All right. See you guys. All right.